This week on Perspective, Israel's vote, BB and beyond. Israelis go to the polls in a national election this Tuesday. It's a small country with strategic importance. Elections in Israel have implications beyond the country's borders in the Middle East and further afield. Benjamin Netanyahu, one of Israel's longest-serving prime ministers, has been in office for a decade. He's facing multiple fraud and corruption charges at home. So it's perhaps not surprising that he's using the international stage to bolster his campaign. This past week, he was in Moscow to thank the Russian president for help recovering the remains of an Israeli soldier missing since Israel's invasion of Lebanon nearly 40 years ago. The week before, he was in Washington, where U.S. President Donald Trump seemed happy to help a friend. Trump signed a declaration recognizing Israel's sovereignty over the Golan Heights. This should have been done, I would say, numerous presidents ago. But for some reason, they didn't do it, and I'm very honored to have done it. So I just want to say, Bibi, it's an honor to have you at the Oval Office. Thank you. Thank you. In a day of history, we have never had a greater friend than President Trump. Some suggest Trump may have delivered his friend an election win. Certainly, in Israel, Netanyahu has made Trump a big deal. Still, Bibi, as he's sometimes called, is up against some stiff competition from an unlikely opponent. Former Army Chief of Staff Benny Gans, a first-time politician leading a new party, has carved out significant support among centrist voters, in some polls outpacing Netanyahu. The thing is, there are dozens of political parties running in this election, and the country's next prime minister won't necessarily be the leader who wins the vote on Tuesday. It will be the leader who can cobble together the strongest coalition. On the program this week, we'll assess some of the complexities of the Israeli campaign and what's at stake in Israel and beyond. We'll also take a look at the issue that's not being talked about much in this campaign, Israeli-Palestinian relations. But we begin on the ground in Tel Aviv with Lahav Harkov, a senior contributing editor with the Jerusalem Post, and she's been covering the campaign. I know that Israeli elections are pretty hard to predict or even poll in some ways, but how would you describe the state of play now? We have um, two things going on at once, which is that the blue and white party led by uh, Benny Gantz, um, the, he's a former chief of staff of the World Army. Uh, his party is leading in most of the polls. Um, and then Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu's Likud party is second place. Um, however, it looks very likely that Netanyahu will remain prime minister because if you divide up the parties into blocks, a right-wing block and a centrist and left-wing block, um, the right-wing block is larger. Most of the parties in that block have said that they're committed to um, standing with Netanyahu forming a coalition um, and so it looks like Netanyahu will have an easier path to forming a coalition and will be able to remain prime minister in that way. This has been described by some as a referendum on Netanyahu. Is that the case, do you think? Yes, I think that's true, but I also think it's not the first time because Netanyahu has been prime minister now for 10 years, in addition to a three-year stint in the 90s. Uh, and he he's very popular on the right, but outside of the right, he, he's a much more controversial figure. And uh, it sort of reached a point in Israel where he's become a love him or hate him figure. There's very few people who are neutral on him. So given that scenario, how has Benny Gans, whose party, as you suggest, is leading in the, in the opinion polls, how has he positioned himself? 
Uh, so Gantz and his party has positioned itself as as centrist, really. Their slogan has been, "No, there's no right, there's no left, there's just Israel, um, which in of itself is meaningless. But as far as the people that he's brought into his party, some come very solidly from the right. Uh, there's uh, Bogi Yalon, who was another IDF chief of staff and was defense minister under Netanyahu for years. And there were other top Netanyahu aides. So those are people really from the right. Uh, and then they have some people who are much more identified with the left, including the chairman of the National Labor Union. So they're a little bit all over the place. One of the sort of components of the party has been Israel's big centrist party for the past six years or so. They're called Yashatid. Um, and their platform is mostly made up of Yashatid's positions. So they're positioning themselves as the center. Um, the Israeli left has gotten smaller over the last few elections. Um, and so that's sort of a safer place for them to be, certainly electorally. And they are trying to attract votes from the moderate right, from people who may have voted Likud in the past, uh, but don't want to vote for them now for various reasons. Um, they're really focusing, for example, on the corruption investigations against Netanyahu. Um, Blue and White has been trying to use that to their advantage as much as possible. But from the way you describe it, it seems Netanyahu doesn't really seem to be wearing those corruption allegations. Well, we've been hearing about them for years now, um, and details leak to the press every few weeks. It's sort of been a non nonstop background noise. And by background noise, I don't mean that it's not important, but uh, just that there's, there's fatigue. And it really doesn't seem that e even new major revelations, um, like the attorney general saying that he um, recommends to indict Netanyahu, it's, even that really, it was there was a slight dip a slight change in the polls that week, and then everything bounced back to normal. So it seems like people made up their minds long ago um, when there were sort of reports about this and they already knew what was coming. A vote in an election is always, no matter where, is, is somehow a vote about the future. And when you talk to Israeli voters, what kind of future are they envisioning for themselves as they make their choice, do you think? Well, that's a that's a very big question, uh, but there was pol there's polling done about what priorities are in the vote, um, and the number one matter is security, uh, which actually both parties are very strong on. Uh, Netanyahu is concerned very strong in Israeli security. Um, the past decade has been one of the most peaceful, if not the most peaceful, in Israel's history. Um, and in the other party, you have three former IDF chiefs of staff in the top five of the party. The other issues are more um, social and economic issues. The cost of living in Israel is fairly high compared to wages, um, and so that's something that's discussed a lot. Um, issues with the health uh, system in Israel uh, have been discussed a lot in this election. Um, and also, um, children, child care, education, those are very big issues to Israelis. But what you haven't mentioned, and which has sort of dominated, certainly, coverage from outside of the country when we've covered Israel in the past, is the relationship with the Palestinians. Yeah, and that's very true. Um, there's this sort of dichotomy where, uh, on the one hand, Israelis tend to identify themselves politically according to what they think um, the solution should be, or, or if there's even a solution uh, when it comes to Israel and the Palestinians, where the right uh, wants fewer concessions, especially of land, and the left is for uh, more concessions of land. Um, 
and that's how those labels sort of are allocated in Israel. But at the same time, it's, it's not a top issue, and I think it shows a level of skepticism um, that anything's going to change in the near future. Um, and that's even more notable considering that U.S. President uh, Donald Trump plans to present some kind of peace plan uh, probably in the coming weeks. And uh, despite that, Israelis don't think it's going to go anywhere. Hmm. Thank you very much for your perspective on this. Thank you. The Israeli legislature, called the Knesset, is in Jerusalem. The 120 seats are allocated based on proportional representation. A party must receive at least 3.25% of the vote to gain a seat. There are 41 parties running in the election to be held on April 9th. Voters cast their ballots based only on party choice. Candidates are selected by each party from a closed list. Ten parties currently hold seats in the Knesset. The current government, headed by Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, is a coalition of six parties holding a total of 61 seats. I'm gonna probably vote Kahul Lavan just because I think everybody is sick of uh, Netanyahu and like at least people that I know, I think it's like a general consensus uh, that uh, he shouldn't be in power anymore. These elections are very divisive here, just like the US elections and uh, the options are just still open, you know. I think that uh, a change could be beneficial, but it all depends who's, who's going to replace him. It's a lot of uh, misinformation in the news, everybody's fighting with each other. So I, I was thinking about voting for Bibi, but this year I don't think I will do it. Because uh, he is already 10 years here, and I appreciate for his work. He growth economically, the growth is amazing. But still, 10 years is too much for a person to rule the country. You need to switch it. You need to change for fresher minds to lead the country. I'm going to vote for uh, Blue and White, uh, the Gantz Party. I like him very much. I used to be a professional uh, soldier. I've been an officer in the Israeli Defense Forces. He is a nice guy, smart guy, capable guy, very impressive. In a, and I believe he will walk for Israel, not for himself. The complete opposite of Bibi Netanyahu. I'm waiting for uh, Bibi Netanyahu, I think he's the best one. He got connection from all the world. You see all the leader of the world, they, when they come to their country, they give him all the respect, they give him the, all the, 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 what he need. He got a uh, good, uh, he very strong in the world. Everybody know him. And you see what is Trump, the President of the United States, what he say about him. He's very smart, he's very intelligent, he's very strong for Israel. The power is the best. I'm going to vote for Bibi. Bibi Netanyahu, Ali Kud. Why? Bibi is strong. Bibi is the famous uh, person in Israel. I like Bibi. Eight years, he... He is understanding everything. He knows everything. He's perfect. I love Bibi. Rak Bibi. Israel Bibi. A perspective now on some of the broader implications of the Israeli election. Neri Zilber is an analyst and adjunct fellow with the Washington Institute for Near East Policy. He spoke to us from Tel Aviv. 
you wrote recently that Israelis are single-issue voters, that the issue for them at the ballot box is always about Israel. How is that reflected in this campaign? Well, I wrote that in the context of Israel and its relationship with America and primarily the Trump administration. So Israelis uh, look around and they very much uh, view the world through uh, their own prism, which is, uh, as you mentioned, Israel. Uh, Israel is very much inward focused, uh, despite the fact that it's a huge uh, international story. It's a huge story uh, regionally in the Middle East. Uh, but Israelis, uh, this is often surprising, care a lot about internal issues like the cost of living, uh, like transportation and infrastructure, like the relationship between religion and state. Uh, so, quite a normal country, despite the fact that it's often uh, not that normal here. So what should we make of the recent photographs that we've seen of Benjamin Netanyahu with certainly his best friend Donald Trump, with uh, Bolsonaro from Brazil, with Vladimir Putin? And as one headline suggested, you know, the, even the Gulf states are getting into bed with Israel. What's, what's happening? What's being carved out here by uh, the Israeli government and by Netanyahu particularly? Well, there are two things at play. Uh, number one, obviously, these, these images and these uh, meetings coming uh, quick and heavy obviously form part of Netanyahu's re-election bid. So he's portraying himself uh, very much to the Israeli public as a great statesman on the world stage. Uh, and he says it publicly, and he releases uh, photo ops constantly. Uh, so that's with regard to the election. Uh, bigger picture, uh, Netanyahu uh, has done a very good job at cultivating these ties. Uh, he, he precedes a lot of these leaders in power. Uh, Netanyahu has been a prime minister here for now 10 straight years, so that's helpful. Uh, but at the same time, Israel, uh, regardless of who the prime minister is, is actually a very important uh, strategic player uh, regionally and internationally, uh, very important diplomatically in terms of its relationship with the current U.S. administration. Uh, so Israel, uh, despite the fact that it's now uh, looking inward at it, its own politics, uh, has an impact uh, wider in the, in the region around the world. When you talk about particularly within the region, and I mentioned the Gulf states a, a moment ago, does Israel now see its role in the Middle East slightly differently, that there is less of a focus, for example, on its relations with the Palestinians? For a number of years now, the relationship between Israel and what they call the moderate Arab states, so uh, the Gulf states uh, like Saudi Arabia, like the United Arab Emirates, uh, but also Jordan and Egypt, which Israel has uh, long-standing peace agreements with, uh, the relationship has evolved. Uh, these states have uh, other more pressing concerns, uh, primarily Iran, uh, primarily the threat of uh, radical Islamic terrorism. And in that sense, Israel is a natural and also a very effective partner uh, for these states to combat those threats. And the Palestinian issue, uh, unfortunately, uh, is oftentimes left behind. Uh, despite the fact that, at least uh, publicly and re uh, in terms of rhetoric, uh, the, the position of the Arab states uh, with regard to Palestine uh, very much has stayed the same in terms of the need uh, for a two-state solution. Put some of the political opposition into this picture for me now, because, as you point out, I mean, the government has been led by Netanyahu and his idea of where Israel should be going strategically in the world. Um, put the opposition and, and the most critical opposition in this campaign, put uh, Benny Gantz into this picture. So there might be differences of opinion uh, between Netanyahu and the opposition with respect to the Palestinian issue, uh, and primarily the need for a two-state solution uh, or not, as the case may be. Uh, but internationally, there isn't that much daylight between Netanyahu and his, uh, and his opponents. 
uh, the, the strategy taken, for instance, with regard to Syria and the threat of Iran uh, entrenching itself militarily in Syria, uh, the approach would remain the same. Uh, in terms of cultivating these ties, as we mentioned, with the moderate Arab states, uh, is the same, uh, as well as maintaining a good relationship, uh, for instance, with Washington. Uh, will remain the same. I, I know you've been co covering Israeli politics for some time. Has the conversation, the debate evolved at all, or do you feel like in many ways you're covering the same campaign? No, I, I would say uh, the, the, the debate has evolved. Uh, you're seeing uh, a rightward shift uh, among the voting public here uh, in recent years. Uh, issues that w used to be very important, uh, for instance, like the need for a two-state solution, uh, or at the very least disengaging from the Palestinian uh, in the West Bank, uh, that's kind of fallen off. And in its place, uh, it's more rhetoric that's reminiscent of, uh, uh, you know, rightward shift in other places, very uh, xenophobic, uh, very nationalistic. Uh, there's uh, rhetoric oftentimes coming directly from the prime minister himself uh, against the Arab citizens of Israel, uh, things that uh, used to take place, but more on the fringes of the Israeli political debate. So in that sense, uh, things have taken a rightward shift, uh, not, not dissimilar to what's perhaps happening uh, in other places like Europe and America. At the same time, and, and we've sort of touched on this, the, the sort of, uh, and I hesitate to use it this way, to, but to say that the Palestinian question of the relationship with the Palestinians is on the back burner to a certain extent. And certainly we've heard the argument that, that in fact, that that might lead to a one-state solution, which would be detrimental, if not worse, for Israel. Tell me how that's playing out, what the thinking actually is. Well, as you mentioned, there is a there is a long-term demographic threat uh, if if there is no separation between Israel and its uh, Palestinian neighbors, uh, you know, and oftentimes it's referred to as a two-state solution. Uh, in this campaign, that's nowhere really to be found, uh, at least not in the in the preponderance of the campaigns run by the various parties. Uh, quite the opposite, uh, most parties, especially on the right, obviously, uh, talk about a one-state solution very proudly. Uh, so not only won't there be a two-state solution, but there is no need even for, uh, you know, disengagement or separation from the Palestinians. And in their minds, uh, the demographic threat either doesn't exist or can be handled uh, at some point down the line uh, somehow. Because the current campaign is, is less about the issues and less about the substance and more about uh, the two personalities of uh, either Benjamin Netanyahu or his primary challenger, Benny Gantz, uh, or kind of very esoteric. Uh, minor issues like uh, social media clips that are put out, uh, various scandals relating to how the campaign is run, and less about uh, really existential challenges that Israel uh, has been facing, is facing, and will definitely be facing in the future. What are you watching for now? Well, we have a few more days left until, until Election Day, so uh, anything can happen. But if nothing changes, then what you're looking at really is if uh, undecided voters, and by one count, there might be a third of the voting public that's still undecided, uh, which way they break. So it's very hard to, to account for those people in the, in the polls. Uh, and so on Election Day, I think, I think those people will, will get to the voting booth and, and have to make a decision. And so I think that will be a critical, a critical uh, uh, variable that we'll have to, uh, we'll obviously find out about uh, after the results come in. Uh, but really, after Election Day, it's, uh, you know, Israeli politics and, and post-Election Day 
is a math problem. So you're looking really at how, uh, how many seats each party receives and what is possible in terms of forming uh, a majority governing coalition for either Netanyahu or Gantz. A math problem. <laughs> we'll be following the math along with you. Thank you very much for your insight. My pleasure. The State of Israel was created in 1947 as part of a UN plan to partition the area known as Palestine into separate Jewish and Arab states. After the 1948 Arab-Israeli War, the borders between Israel and Syria, Egypt, Lebanon, and Jordan changed. A temporary demarcation line, known as the Green Line, divided Israel and Palestine. In 1950, Jordan annexed the area known as the West Bank. In 1967, after the Six-Day War, Israel captured the West Bank from Jordan and the Gaza Strip and Sinai Peninsula from Egypt. It also captured the Golan Heights from Syria. Israel also began building settlements in its new territories. These settlements continue to be built in the West Bank. Israel approved over 1,400 new units to be built this year. In 1978, Israel invaded Lebanon, but it wasn't until an intervention in 2000 by the UN that a line of demarcation with Lebanon, the Blue Line, was formally established. In 1979, Israel and Egypt agreed to an official border between their countries. Egypt renounced all claims to the Gaza Strip. In 1988, Yasser Arafat of the Palestine Liberation Organization proclaimed the state of Palestine. Jordan renounced its claims to the West Bank. Between 1993 and 2002, Israel withdrew from parts of the West Bank and Gaza Strip, but outbreaks of violence led to Israeli reoccupation. In 2005, Israel again withdrew from Gaza, but reoccupied the area in 2008. Today, the Golan Heights, the West Bank, East Jerusalem, and the Gaza Strip are considered to be Israeli-occupied territory by the UN. As we've mentioned, the issue that for so long has been the focus of Israeli politics has not often been discussed during this election campaign. Israeli-Palestinian relations and the prospects for peace. For perspective on that, we reached Khalil Shakaki. He's the director of the Palestinian Center for Policy and Survey Research, and he's in Ramallah. First, tell me how the Israeli election is viewed where you are in, in Ramallah. Well, most Palestinians do believe that these are very important elections and could make a lot of difference in their lives. Um, however, most also believe that uh, the right wing under Mr. Netanyahu will probably win the elections. And as a result, things will probably remain the same or become worse. If, on the other hand, the outcome is different, I think most Palestinians um, would be happy to see uh, a change. However, I don't think Mr. Gantz is seen as the person who can bring about that change. Mr. Gantz might be seen as a person who might be able to maintain the status quo so that things would not worsen, while Mr. Netanyahu is seen as a person who might indeed bring about uh, significant changes, perhaps even annex certain territories, and uh, perhaps even uh, speed up the process of violent conflict with the Palestinians. At the same time, though, I mean, as, as Palestinians are watching this election fairly closely, 
the issue of the relationship between Israel and the Palestinians is not being discussed in the same prominent way that we've seen in the past. Why is that, do you think? I, I think most Israelis uh, at this point would like to see the status quo maintained. But I'm now talking about the Israeli public. And I think um, these various political parties that are competing for the votes of the Israelis realize that. And they don't want to rock the boat. They want to maintain things as they are. Uh, talking about uh, a two-state solution, for example, would not be the right way to win hearts and minds in Israel at this point. The two-state solution has been losing support for the last decade. Today, a majority of Israelis, Israeli Jews, are opposed to the two-state solution. It doesn't help them win votes. At the same time, do you, it seems that the, the Palestinians and the Palestinian Authority in particular is increasingly isolated in the region, that, that Israel, for example, is finding common cause with other neighboring Arab countries in the Gulf states, for example. What has to happen within the Palestinian community, within the Palestinian political life, to perhaps uh, change things? You're absolutely right. The Palestinians are isolated. The Arab countries today are preoccupied with a lot of other stuff, including, of course, the Iranian question. And, and this brings them closer to Israel than at any time in the past. Uh, the, 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 there are a few things that the Palestinians can do to improve their conditions and to be able to take the initiative. Uh, this would require significant changes in their domestic environment. They need to reconcile with each other, reunify the West Bank and Gaza. They need to reform their political system, go to elections. Uh, and, and regionally, there is no doubt that they need to reach out to the major Arab countries, the Saudis, Egyptians, Jordanians, in a much more effective manner to create a coalition that is able to jointly develop positions regarding uh, the Israeli-Palestinian question and the larger question of what happens in the peace process if and when the Trump administration presents its own ideas, which most Palestinians, the overwhelming majority of the Palestinians, believe will favor Israel and will not uh, be acceptable to the Palestinians. But at the same time, how likely is it that you're going to see that kind of initiative from within the Palestinian political, you know, power? It is not impossible for the, for the PA to take that initiative for, for President Abbas to do that. He, uh, at this point, I think he is probably waiting to, to, to see what the American ideas are before uh, taking the next move. I think this is a mistake. He, he should not be waiting. He, he certainly should be trying to, uh, to prepare himself for, for, for the moment when the American ideas are out. When the international communities and, and the media focus is on the parties and at that point, I think the Palestinians need to be ready with their Arab allies, uh, with their own ideas. You know, you've been engaged in this and watching this for so long. Are you disillusioned? Well, <clears throat> I, I can say that I am disillusioned, because after 26 years of efforts uh, to bring about peace between Palestinians and Israelis, uh, there is little to show for that. Uh, this failure, <coughs> this failure, no doubt, uh, indicate <coughs> not only that uh, the issues are difficult, not only that the two publics uh, 
are finding it difficult to swallow very painful concessions, but that at the leadership level, there has been a lack of initiative on the part of the two sides to come together to reach an agreement. A majority of Palestinians and Israelis are willing to support, is willing to support a, a, a peace agreement that ends the conflict if and when leaders do take the initiative and succeed in presenting the two publics with reasonable ideas. I think the public at this point on each side is very suspicious of the other side, is very suspicious of the long-term intentions of the other side, and uh, both publics are not willing themselves to take the initiative and push their own leaders to make peace. So ultimately, I think the major failure of the last 26 years of of peace efforts have been uh, ha has been a failure at the leadership level. Thank you very much for your time and your insight on this. Thank you. And that's our program for this week. If you'd like to take another look at any of the interviews in the program or at any of our previous programs, they're all available on our webpage at cpac.ca slash perspective. And now you can also take the program with you. All of our programs are available as a podcast and you can find links to where to listen on our webpage as well. We like to hear from you. If you'd like to comment on anything you see or hear, you can reach us on Twitter and Facebook or by email at perspective at cpac.ca. I'm Allison Smith. Thanks for watching. <laughs>